Welcome to the Pitch Podcast, where entrepreneurs and cutting edge companies come to tell us about the products they're making, the ideas they're spending time on, and the problems they're solving. Here's your host, Warren Spiewak. Hey, another episode of the Pitch Podcast. No, I am not Warren Speedwick, but I am filling in with him. And I'm sitting here with H&P and I'm sitting here with Megan and Micah. How y'all doing today? Great. Great. Um, wonderful day. A little hot outside, right? A little bit. Yep. Uh, and I see you got a really cool slide deck sitting behind you, HSE and H&P. And we all know how important health, safety, and environment is to our industry. H&P, what's the backstory? Uh, H&P or Helmrich and Payne, we are the oldest drilling contractor in North America, originally based in Tulsa, uh, started as a family business. Over the last, I don't know, decade or so, we've really evolved uh, to be more of a full spectrum drilling solutions provider, both on the automation side and also still um, the rig rig space. Yeah. Before you got here, I was spending a little time with Michael just talking before we turn the cameras on. And the thing that impressed me the most is we're going to talk about safety, environment, and health today, but it's in your core culture. It's not a metric. It's something you believe in in your heart, and I love that. So, Michael, you want to talk a little bit about that? You know, going back 30 years ago, uh, you can imagine the oil field 30 years ago. Those, I was there. Us, some of us were around, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, safety had a little bit different uh, perspective, and uh, and a lot of it was focused on just preventing injuries. Uh, we want to keep full crews uh you know, keep turning to the right. That was the primary driver's productivity. And over the past 30 years, there's been a, a multiple multitude of changes in what the focus of HSE efforts are. But at HP, we're really proud over the past uh, uh, eight years, we've transitioned to a SIF based and that's a serious injury fatality based uh, HSE program. And why is that important? Starting back in 1970 with the OSHA pushing uh, and, and producing the OSHA Act that set up the OSHA administration, uh, it's driven a lot of behaviors, right? Focused on minimizing the TRIR. That's been the objective of, of a lot of employers, oil and gas and otherwise. But we've taken a little bit different approach in, in that we're focused on those life-changing, life-altering events that, that are really going to impact the people at the house for, for a long time. Our investment in time and energy and focus is best served by by controlling and removing those SIF exposures, which is a little bit different than most. Not to say we disregard TIR. That's that's not the message. But yeah, and if our audience doesn't know what TIR means, it's what. Yeah, it's total recordable incident rate, which is uh, established by OSHA. Yeah, uh, difference in culture and what companies believe in in the oil and gas industry 30 years ago. And 30 years ago, safety was still important. But 30 years ago, if you stopped a job and you didn't have a darn good reason why you stopped the job, there were repercussions, right? And we finally got to the point now where people feel safe in stopping the job. And it's a beautiful thing. You know, I joked about being in the industry 30 years ago, but not that long ago, you measured a roughneck's experience, by how many fingers he was missing. And that's gone now and i tell young people that they think i'm crazy that's how far we move the needle but it's 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 the way people think about it which i think y'all are capitalized on like like crazily awesome so one of our core values at helmer campaign is we actively care and i have to acknowledge even before we pursued the sif model actively care was a core component of our culture meaning we care about each other uh since then we've adopted uh, the care as an acronym for controlling and removing exposure. So it's not just that we care about each other, but we also control and remove exposures and speci more specifically, SIF exposures. Yeah. As much as I make fun of our industry and acronyms, that's a really good one. Like, good job with the whole care, the easy thing to remember. But but you're right. So let's, so what does that mean to, to, to you as a company? I think um, 
what we want is, as Micah mentioned, and you talked about having the ability to stop work or point out when um, something could be an unsafe practice, really caring for each other. But it also, since it's so ingrained in, in who we are, we want every employee to know that really every moment matters. You can make a decision in a split second and it could have um, obviously very significant impact. And so we want everyone really to be cognizant for themselves uh, and for each other. And it this this is our, our standard uh, to, and practices when it comes to safety, but also how we engage in the community um, and really how we live everyday lives. And so that's how we instill it through everyone. See, I love that. So it's all about keeping everybody safe, not just your people, mm -hmm. not just your customers, people, even your competitors, people, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody's out there and everybody has to look out for each other. So one of my favorite stories about that, I was in a high bay manufacturing area for Technip FMC and I was dressed in dress clothes, right? Dress shoes and everything. And I stepped past the elite yellow line and one of the welders stopped what he was doing and very very politely came over and asked me to move back over the yellow line. How incredible is that? That's to your point where everybody is caring. And I love the fact y'all are driving that both with your customers and your suppliers, and I guess with everybody y'all interact with. Yeah, that, that's right, Mark. We're, you know, we're focused on uh, spreading this this message throughout the entire industry, upstream, downstream, pretty much anybody that'll listen. Uh, we've worked with even some of our competitors to establish some of the baselines for implementing a SIP model in their HSE processes. And we continue to work with the IADC, IOGP, and, and other external organizations to kind of collaborate and improve not only our processes, but everyone else's. So let's get a little bit deeper into this. Let's look at the process, look at how y'all implement this, uh, results, because this is a great story so far. I want to learn more. So back in 2014, I'll set the stage for you. Uh, we, we were achieving world-class total recordable incident rate, TRIR, consistently below a 1.0, which is very respectable. It's really good. Yeah, yeah, very respectable. Uh, we, had, we had operations that were going a year without – large operations, California operations, year without a recordable incident, which is, which is a really, really great milestone for that, that 13 rig operation. But at the same time, uh, fourth quarter of 2014, we had two fatalities within a short period of time. And our senior leaders recognized that you couldn't reconcile this message of world-class HSE performance with the, the two fatalities. So at that point in time, we, we kind of threw the book out and, and came into it with a fresh, fresh set of eyes and questioning what, if what we were doing was really what we should be doing as it pertains to uh, HSE performance. That took a little bit of courage, right? Because you basically took all the traditions, all the processes, all the handbooks, everything that y'all had for over 100 years, threw it out the window and started from scratch. That'd be kind of scary. It, I think it, it is a significant change, but as Micah said, we still obviously are fully compliant with OSHA standards. But incidents like Micah mentioned is really being the genesis of this. That Those are the heartbreaking moments. Those are the moments that we would do really anything within our power to, to prevent. Our, our goal is um, that people get to experience our industry and we enhance their lives and we make it significantly better. We want them to have longevity and careers and provide for their families. And the last thing we would wanna do is have something that impacts it detrimentally, right? Yeah, 100%. So I've watched a lot of organizations look at this problem and come about it from two separate viewpoints or two separate ways. One is top down and what is bottom up. Um, what do y'all think is the best approach and why? 
Well, in our experience, uh, it's a combination. Uh, honestly, it's got to be an active dialogue from from senior leadership, and, and they're displaying the the appropriate behaviors. I think that's what, that's one of the, our key components of the culture is what what the the leaders demonstrate. What are their actions, not their words, but their actions, and uh, and then from the bottom up, getting that feedback from the, from the rotary table what's important, what's working, what's not working, and getting the feedback to the decision makers. Yeah, I, I love that approach. That way you have executive buy-in, so that way the company knows that it's serious. But you also have to take into account the frontline workers. We talked about this earlier. Um, I've seen incidents where uh, supply chain bought the cheapest gloves they could buy, and the guys can't do their jobs. So what happens? They take their gloves off. Well, the problem, root cause is not the guy taking his glove off. The root cause is supply chain trying to save seven cents, you know? So by having executive leadership, you kind of mitigate all that sort of stuff. Let's go to the next slide. This is actually getting really good. Yeah. So as a segue, we talked about the two incidents, 2014. Uh, in 2015, we reached out to uh, behavioral science technology out of uh, Ojai, California, uh, now BST DECRA out of Germany. But uh, we brought them in. They conducted a survey of our employees and, and really provided that feedback loop that we were just talking about around getting a perspective from the Rotary, what's working, what's not working. Um, are, are we being safe? Are we meeting those expectations on the rig floor versus uh, what we think we're doing in that, in that C-suite or corner office? So, yeah. so when, um, when you look at where y'all were then, you look at where you are now, and you look at the bell curve of that maturity, how, where do y'all feel like y'all are? Do y'all feel like y'all are still climbing the bell curve, still have work to do, or you think that y'all have gotten the improvements to the point that now you have to work on maintaining them? I think you can always improve um, until you're really at a place of zero. There's opportunity for improvement, and that, I think that would ultimately be our objective. What we've seen is by focusing on the most important or significant things, it really drove down all incidents because, again, it comes back to every moment matters um, and it's instilled in who we are. This even becomes more important when we're in markets with volatility and we have a lot of new people coming on. So to your question about is it top down, and I absolutely agree with what Micah said, um, all of our leaders are, are fully committed in being actively care and preventing SIFs, but also making sure from the moment that someone walks in for the first time that they understand that safety is above and beyond more important than really anything we do. And that training and that initial onboarding into our culture, I think, is a significant portion of kind of that bottom up piece. It is interesting to watch uh, new people come into our industry in some ways because they don't have the history. It's actually a little bit more dangerous because they don't have the experience. But in other ways, they don't get complacent. Right. And so they're looking at every little thing. And there's there, there's some balance point there. And and, and quite frankly, I, I love your, your approach where everybody's involved, because, you know, if I'm the guy that's been on the rig floor for 40 years, I get a little bit complacent. And the, the new guy comes aboard, and goes, no, 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 you need to have your eyes on. That's kind of cool. And to feel safe to be able to do that to a senior level person is just a beautiful thing. It is. Yeah. So what so what's what's next in the process? Yeah, so I think it's important to bring up that, uh, and Megan's touched on it, with our pursuit of SIF, we have not just thrown the book out on, on OSHA recordables and TRIR. That's not the message. It's that, that they complement each other, right? And by focusing on the SIF and the serious injuries, fatalities, prevention, those events, we're increasing awareness around all the other exposures. So, uh, you know, we'll get some pushback from customers saying you don't care about TRIR or, or some sort of message like that. And in reality, that's not it. Uh, but we are going to provide a proportionate response. We can't make business decisions based on every small incident, but we are going to make some major business decisions and engineering changes 
for those those incidents or, or exposures, those civic exposures that occur in the workplace. Yeah, which yeah. which is the way it should be done. I, I love that idea. Um, it's really interesting to watch. Uh, the industry change and and its approach. And I think it's really cool that, it's, for, at least from the outside, it looks like y'all are leading a lot of this change. So hats off to y'all for taking this as a serious initiative. And by the way, if OSHA's watching, Micah didn't say that just to make sure he's OSHA compliant. They're always OSHA compliant. <laughs> that, that's right. Yeah. And it's it's interesting. We collaborate with OSHA quite a bit, uh, as do a, a lot of drilling contractors, right? We get a lot of opportunities to visit with their compliance officers and their directors of the areas. So uh, we're seeing some, some movement in that direction. From, from that side as well uh, on and challenging the, the conventional thinking about how we're measuring HSE performance and it, maybe it's not the absence of injuries. I love that. Um, and, and I was making fun of OSHA. OSHA does some incredible work, um, but they do set a lot of standards and they have a lot of stuff to enforce. And, and then once again, they're basically just kind of giving you the guidelines and y'all, and, and y'all are taking it that next step further and making sure that it's even safer than what the OSHA guidelines are, which is just a beautiful thing. I, I also think what Micah touched on there, working either with OSHA or the industry or our competitors, when we learn or have learned hard lessons, we definitely want to make sure that we share best practices because regardless of where someone's working or, or what they're doing, we would want to contribute to preventing it from happening again and not have them learn the hard way, right? Interesting uh, uh, interesting notes there. So. Uh, talking about best practices, talking about root cause analysis. Up until recently, most companies of your side, if somebody got hurt, that root cause analysis just would have been a PR statement. Somebody got hurt, uh, they're in the hospital, they're okay, expect to turn back to work. But what you're talking about is actually sharing real information. This person got hurt, here is why, here's what we did, here's what we're going to do to collaborate to make sure it doesn't help in the future. That's, that's a total change in the way the industry thinks about uh, collaborate with its competitors and with its uh, customers and uh, with its peers. Right. Yeah. I think we, we recognize we all serve the same communities and we, we all hire from the same pool of people. And if, if we're expected to be good stewards of this industry, which we want to be, uh, we have to protect those people. And by sharing our experiences where we failed and, and, and the, where we're successful, we're going to improve the overall performance of the industry. So good, good point for me to pull, point out here on the slide deck, in which the audience will actually see this on you. Um, the triangle is not predictive. Can we talk a little about that? That's that's interesting. Yeah, as uh, safety professionals and, and, and probably a lot of us that went through any sort of uh, safety training, we were taught that Heinrich's triangle of 30,000 unsafe acts would equal uh, equate to one fatality, right. right? Well, Mark, as you well know, the risk in the oil and gas space is a little bit different than what you would see in, in a uh, cookie cutter manufacturing facility. So although it can be descriptive, it, it's not predictive. Yeah. yeah. And why is that important? Well, I, I you know, whenever I started with H&P, my, my mentor explained it to me like this. He goes, we know if we go to Vegas and we roll the dice one time, we can crap out. And that's how it is on the rig floor, right? If we don't get it right, there's an opportunity to get somebody – uh, seriously hurt. So we can't afford that. And we, we recognize that and we're going to, we need to have controls in place to address that. I love that. That's all being, all that's happening up front for that guy takes a foot on the floor. I love yeah. that. Yeah. With the, the nuance to, to SIF, we're, we're providing that proportionate response. And I, I, I touched on that, uh, more weighting and that's probably more accurate, more weighting to those SIF exposures, uh, versus the, the standard OSHA recordable 
first aid at the rig type right. events. So, yeah. And, and that data set is there's a correlation between what the, the severity of the injury is, right, to the, the frequency of the events. And we recognize that you can't have the frequency of those SIFs that you would have with the standard medical treatment only case. And thus we've weighted that and tried to provide some of that, um, that built into our HSE processes, including going through our own databases as we established what our life-saving rules were. I like how y'all are, are putting more focus on the bigger impacting events and less focus on the less impacting events. To most people, it would be common sense, but the truth is now that I think about it, because this is the first time I've ever thought about it, it hasn't always been that way, has it been? It's 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 almost that the band-aid finger cut gets the same amount of attention as the 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 broken ankle, you know, and that's that's not the right way to to look at this if you want to fix that. Yeah, in Mark, in my career, it's been even if the uh let's say the fing the 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 stitch, the single stitch was receiving a disproportionate amount of attention around maybe a uh, SIF exposure, no one was injured. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, you're right. right. So if we drop the drill collar. No one's hurt. Let's pick it up and let's run it in the hole. Whereas if we had a pinched finger, okay, we're going to shut it down. We're going to, we're going to do an investigation. We're going to go to the office of the, of our customer and have a meeting and yeah. Okay. You're getting me all hyped up. Okay. So, <laughs> so how do you deal with the fact that when you drop that drill collar and nobody gets hurt, everybody looks the other way. I, cause that's happened in this industry. If you have the guys actually on the floor, they don't re want to report it because number one, they don't want to have to go to another safety class. They don't have another uh, item added to, added to their punch list. So your people have to must really trust you in order to pull that type of stuff off. Yeah. It's, that was one of the products of our early surveys with our, with our own employees and establishing the trust and, and re rebuilding some trust that maybe had been eroded over time and recognizing that leadership I think I touched on leadership behaviors. How do you respond whenever you drop that drill collar? How does that leader respond? If it's going to be a disproportionate response, maybe screaming, yelling, uh, raising hell. Right. There, there's going to be right. <laughs> there's going to be a reluctance to report those in the future. Whereas we've tried, we built and ingrained in our culture uh, an openness to report because we understand it's going to result in better controlling and removing that exposure in the future. Yeah, and I'm not really trying to drive this to the data, but the next thing that pops in my head is this means that the data you collect is more accurate. It's it's real data because employees aren't worried about what people think about them for reporting what actually happened. So then your data is much more actionable. Yeah, and and it's interesting. Um, we'll have customers come to us and explain, "Hey, we're getting so much information from you. What's going wrong?" And our response is, "That's going right." And it, it, I think it's a glass. The glass is more than half full in this regard because a lot of times these events wouldn't be reported, and you can't improve on things if you don't know that they're hundred percent. I love this. I, so what's yeah. next? This is I, I love this story so far. Yeah. So uh, this is kind of a, uh, a elementary equation for how we calculate our 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 SIF rate. Um, talking about data and rates and the TRIR, a lot of HSE professionals and oil and gas professionals really key in on numbers. So wanted to kind of share how we calculate our SIF exposure and SIF rate. Let's go do so, it. Let's go sure. through it. So the, the, the obvious one is our SIF actual events. These are an event where someone's seriously hurt, killed, or suffers a life-altering injury or illness. And then those number of events, plus those SIF potential, what we just talked about, the drill collars because we investigate those potential events just like they actually occurred. We conduct a taproot investigation on those potential events that honestly, for, for a lot of other folks in the oil and gas space, 
they're just not getting picked up and they can't improve on it. So, uh, and we recognize that frequently if there's a potential, it's just a matter of luck that protected us from getting somebody seriously hurt and, and we don't want to leave it up to chance. So. And the reason why I think that's so important that we celebrate even when people talk about SIF potentials, right? To, to your point, it takes a lot of trust in the organization to do that. And we really do want to celebrate it because the, the magic happens when they report a potential and then we get the opportunity to do something about it to mitigate it next time. And that's where we're able to continually improve and, and add steps or processes or equipment to mitigate them in the future, right? But that must also mean the opposite. So there must be some things that maybe right now have a 30 uh, line punch list that go, we don't need 30 lines, we need seven. So you must also uncover stuff that maybe doesn't need as much attention to detail. I, I love this. Like this is actually doing everything the perfectly right way. So so audience, pay attention to what they're doing. This is this is like magic. Um, so so what's next? Yeah. So the last category or bucket in our in our SIF calculation is the mitigated. And those are events in which we had controls in place and that prevented someone from being directly exposed to, to that, uh, that hazard. So great example in, in our, our world is we've got the, the pipe delivery system, uh, hydraulic catwalk delivering tubulars to the rig floor. If we've got a barricade in place, we're actively managing that, that bear, that zone around the, the pipe delivery system. Um, we've got a control in place. So if a tubular does happen to fall out, out of that PDS, we're, we're, we're going to classify that event as mitigated because we've, we've established controls, prevented exposure, and ultimately that's a win. But we still categorize that as a SIF and we want to continue to investigate those events so we can move, move the ball further down the field. I totally get it. That, that is, yeah. That's genius, right? And it's simple. It's easy to comprehend. Yeah. One of the things when Micah was just talking about a rig and things like a pipe delivery system that's a little bit unique to what we do is it's instilled in our culture, but we also have different service providers coming on and off location. So we have to have steps in place, right, um, in order to mitigate them because they're not as familiar with rigs as we are. And so our job extends, obviously, just past us, but it's really anybody on location. Yeah, that, that, I love that. I've seen this myself personally where a service provider that's not, their people aren't used to being on a rig. Um, let's say there's a female uh, and that she needs to be in FRs. So they throw in a pair. They throw in a pair of man's FR clothings. Well, now the legs are like two feet too long, which means it's a trip hazard. But nobody thought about that, right? Or the FRs don't fit her right. And so if something would happen, it's a bigger chance of, of injury. But that's all because the provider just didn't know. So I love the fact you're even taking your subcontractors and making sure they're as safe as you possibly can be as well. That's right. Yeah. Uh, to Megan's point, you know, we're, we're focused on uh, on protecting not only HP employees, but our customers, employees, their subcontractors, our subcontractors, and, and ultimately everybody in the oil and gas space. So every now and then y'all, y'all must get a little bit pushback from your subcontractors because they may not see the value in this hundred percent. You know, how do you handle that with your subcontractors? How do you show them the value that it's important for them to, to kind of toe the line with y'all? I think conversation like we're having those organic conversations over over lunch in Midland, where you're talking about what's going wrong, what's going right, and uh, sharing our perspective, uh, it helps that we're we're also the the individual that signed the check at the right. end of the day. Of course, well, there's some motivation, <laughs> but uh, but in reality, it, it's having that that one-on-one uh, -on -one conversation with those leaders and helping them get the perspective of 
why that why we feel like this is so important and and sharing our lessons learned so they don't have to learn the same lesson. Yeah, I was gonna go down that same route with with the, the money and the fact that once your subs understand that your client the operator judges you on your safety metrics, then everybody gets paid, right? That once they understand that, it usually works. Uh, it flows really easily. So this is great. What's next? Yeah, a, a couple of a major uh, a contrast. There's a lot of, of overlap between TRIR and SIF. Uh, one of the, the bigger differences is um, those OSHA recordable injury rates that we turn in every year uh, and, and the documents that, that support that, those track the outcomes of events, right? Got it. And what we're trying to do is move further upstream towards the precursors to those events because we understand that the precursors for those those medical treatment only cases, there's not a lot of of, of uh, correlation to those major events that that have occurred in our history, uh, even recently that may result in multiple fatalities. And uh, we're really keyed in on trying to prevent those major events, identify the precursors early, establish controls, and ultimately prevent those events. Is there an example you can kind of walk through? Yeah, I, I think uh, the the prior trust event got a lot of people's attention in the oil and gas space, drilling contractors specifically, and that's resulted in uh, action not only by HMP but other contractors and collaboration across the industry on on how to better address those precursors. Um, you know, Chemical Safety Board had uh, had worked with the API in order to uh, to respond back to some. Uh, some citations that, that were received and ultimately um, challenges to the oil and gas base. But that was through collaboration, we focused on preventing the precursors that resulted in the event. And it re really wasn't, didn't feel like in this instance that we were taking shots at each other, but ultimately working collectively to address them. Okay, traditional thinking, I, I, I love our industry. I've been in it for a very long time, but one of the things I hate the most is we've never done it that way before, right? And and you, and you want to question like, well, but here's a better way. This is smack what y'all had to run into when you, when you went down this road is, is we've never done it this way before. Especially after having 102 years of continuous yes. operations. So we've really seen the the full spectrum of how the industry has changed and evolved. And you're right. We, we did have to think outside of the box as Micah was talking about. You know, early even on in this um, podcast was we had great TRIR, right, at the time where we had um, two fatalities. And if we had been, if we continue to double down, if somebody came on location and slammed their finger in a door, right, out in a truck, we didn't want to give that more attention. We really wanted to make sure that we sent people back to their homes and their families just the way they came to work. It's, it's a metric. Uh Maybe people get bonused on it, but it's also something I can tell it's in your hearts and, and you want to make sure that everybody's okay. And I, I love that. I love it about our industry. Mm -hmm. I do too. I mean, this industry is something that we're so proud of. And what we want to do is like in, make people's lives better, right? Um, and and that's how, why we focus on it so much. If, let's say you're bringing in a new supplier. And let's say the supplier doesn't have your 100-year history. Say your supplier is only 10 years old. Can we kind of talk through what would that look like? You know, would y'all provide coaching? Would you um, actually uh, hold their hands? Would you uh, do audits? How would you work with a new supplier to bring them up to your level of, of HSE standards? I, I think there, that's a, a multifaceted answer. Our safety standards and our expectations don't change regardless. So if we have a supplier or a subcontractor that's on any one of our locations or any one of our facilities, that safety standard 
I mean, it remains the same. So while we will set the standard um, and have safety briefings, we, we do that whenever we um, have people in a new location that aren't familiar. So I, the answer to your question is yes. Um, <laughs> we will coach them. But we also, you know, our, our approach to safety really is unwavering regardless. Yeah. And so to your customers, and I know that all the major operators out there, this is huge as far as, especially even uh, awarding tenders, right, is, is your safety record. Uh, you know, to your customers out there, they have to love this because you're putting in place a process and also driving a culture that drives real differences, right? Not not that differences on paper don't matter. I don't, I don't want anybody to think that, right? Um, you know, statistics can be uh, construed to, to say whatever you want, but you're actually making an enormous difference. When when you keep that overhead piece from even um, coming unshackled, because you know that's a risk factor, that's that's a wonderful, beautiful thing. So what is the future bringing for H&P as far as uh, HS&E? I think what we're going to do from a customer perspective or really an industry um, view is share why it's important to us, how we got here. We're very transparent with the evolution and what we've learned and what we want to continue to achieve. And there's also an aspect of, you know, the world's evolving and there's tons of advancements in technology. And so we're also using automation and mechanization to find better equipment or remove um remove people from situations. Rigs have a lot of moving parts and a lot of heavy things. And if we can automate that and get them, you know, not not even near harm's way or or near a um, situation where they're, let's, let's call it more dangerous, um, then we'll do that. And we're also taking some parallels from other industries. I love that. I love that. It's one of the things that, that I don't think is an issue we've done enough of is look at other industries. So you look at like a Department of Defense. They have some of the same constraints that we do. So, you know, you look at subsea, it has to be zero defect, right? When you, you can't let have stuff let go at, you know, 10,000 PSI at 450 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, I love the fact y'all are talking to other industries. I mean, why reinvent the wheel if you can learn something? Um, okay. So Michael, you finally got to the part that I really wanted to go deep into because <laughs> I, I love this news world of data in our industry. And from HSE, I've seen so many advancements just because now people can understand problems better. So let's talk a little bit about, about how y'all are using technology. Then after that, it's going to be time to kind of wind this down. Sure, sure. So uh, a few things that we recognize that, Mark, you may remember your first day in the oil field. I definitely remember mine. And and the, uh, the job safety analysis was we're going to stand around the, the back of the pickup truck. We're going to talk about what we're not supposed to do. And then we're going to go to work for the next 12 hours. Right. And <laughs> we realize how. That still goes on. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, I'm proud to say that's not how it's done at H&P. But what we do focus on is integrating that technology into what we're doing. We borrowed from the from the aerospace and, uh, and aviation industries. We've included some of those checklists and those ideas of checklists into our pre-job planning so that that driller has a similar checklist as, as a pilot before he takes off. He knows what the expectations are. He knows what has to get done and who's going to do it before we go to work. So it creates a lot of clarity and accountability to make sure we're executing on those things that we're expecting to do. That's And that's at the rig floor. So along with that, some some videos that are provided to the guys. YouTube is a, is a big Im influencer on all of our lives whenever we're trying to solve problems. And we recognize that as a younger workforce comes to, comes to the oil field, we want to provide them with similar tools. Do you want to know how many drilling contractors I have talked to my entire life that has brought up YouTube? 
one it's y'all <laughs> <laughs> but you're you're 100 right i mean this this video is getting up on youtube and people are gonna see it and they're gonna learn from it, they're gonna be educated um I, I, that's cool that y'all y'all are just using technology where it makes the most sense now at the same time i think we all also agree that sometimes tech just because you have technology it doesn't necessarily make things safer a uh, tally book's a perfect example it doesn't spark right it, it, it's pencil and paper you're fine so sometimes you don't actually need a technology solution, but the fact that y'all are using technology to, to speed up this process. And then it also has to make it at some point as you're gathering this information, um, it has to help y'all with future predictive analysis, right? Because now you have enough information to make those decisions. And that's something I don't know if anybody's doing. So I think that's really awesome. Well, Mark, you, you used uh, the term tally book, and that's very interesting for, for those that work as a driller keeping track of that pipe tally. And we, we recognize that by having electronic tally sheet, we can keep better track and we understand what those precursors were to the events that occurred in our operation. And we're not relying on that one driller who took his tally book home or the pipe tally. We I misplaced it. it. I so, get it. Right. So you just have yeah. to figure out how to make sure you don't set something on fire and then you're, you're in good shape. Um, I don't even want you to have a discussion about tally books and differences <laughs> between feet of pipe and pipe <laughs> joints. So yeah. Anything else about technology, Megan? Well, we talked about taking lessons learned from other industries. And one of the things that we want to do with people coming in and out of low is take some best practices and best-in-class innovation. We're all used to cameras, backup cameras in our car beeping or sounding off or alerting us when there's an issue. And when we've recognized particular uh, portions of our location or the rig that um, are within a red zone are, or have the highest potential um, to have an event, we, what we've done recently is taken some really innovative technology that's been a proven concept in other industries, and we have used a, um, on our PDS or our pipe delivery system, we have cameras that now are able to, you know, view the area. If our hydraulics are on, it can identify a person that is in a red zone, and it'll shut hydraulics off. And so if they go in, it indicates they're in a red zone when things are moving and they shouldn't be, and it'll shut it down, which is is pretty incredible. What a great use of technology, because that piece of software that's monitoring that camera works 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It doesn't change how good a job it does recognizing that guy because it didn't get enough sleep, right? So just a perfect use of technology. And the fact that you kill the job without knowing what's going on, once again, is a credit to y'all. Because a lot of companies wouldn't kill the job. They would send somebody out to see why that guy's in the red zone. Y'all aren't even taking a chance of that, are you? You're just killing it. And, and then we'll worry about later what, what happened. I, I absolutely love that. So Micah, um, you know, one of the things that you mentioned earlier, and I, I want to kind of come back to is, is things like drop tubulars. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, Mark, you, you know, the uh, drop tubulars continues to be one of the greatest exposures in, in our, our business, whether it's collars, drill pipe, casing, whatever it is. But uh, at HP, one of the things we've done is really tried to integrate a lot of conventional skills and, and tools with our pre-job planning. And if you've ever picked up collars, make sure that the uh, lift subs tor torqued and marked, those types of things. Right. But also maybe you push the envelope a little bit on the technology side. And that, that includes using the, the hydraulic PDS, using that red zone management that Megan talked about, and then ultimately ensuring that we're keeping folks out of that buffer zone. So preventing them from being exposed to those drop, drop tubulars that happens way too frequently in this industry yeah and the fact that you're preventing exposure way before the actual uh incident would happen is That's huge right. right yeah i love that i love that y'all are both really smart intelligent people and there's many things y'all could have done to cho choose to, to to fit in this industry why did y'all go down this route 
Well, well, for me, Marcus, personal, I'm a third generation oil field, grew up literally in an oil field in, in southwest Louisiana. And uh, to see some of the, the injuries that people that I lived around and uh, my own family members sustained in the oil field, I felt like uh, there's an opportunity there to really help people, number one. I knew I wanted to be in the oil field. Uh, that, that was a given. But uh, through my career, I had some really good, strong mentors that pushed me in this direction and ultimately uh, it resulted in a career that it just could, couldn't ask for better. Yeah, what a wonderful thing. So make a living and also take care of your fellow human beings. Right. And Megan, what about you? In general, I am extremely passionate about our industry and with my role within our product management space, looking for opportunities to continue to iterate and improve and pull in those best practices that we talked about so that we don't have to make the hard phone calls or we don't have to let families down because, uh, you know, really our, our employees are what makes us us. Yeah, powerful. Good stuff. All right. So if people wanted to learn more about what you do, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Our website, helmrickpain.com. Um, and there's a contact us form now if you want to reach someone specific in the organization. Yeah. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes. So Megan, Micah, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for thank having you, us. Mark. Yeah. So folks, make sure you pay attention to what they're doing. Go check them out. They're doing some wonderful stuff in the HSE world and they're just good people. We're out of here.